Hello, and welcome to the Christwalk Church Podcast. Good morning, Christwalk Church. How is everybody doing today? Yes! Man, what an incredible, just like to, to echo what Todd said, what an incredible um, presence of the Holy Spirit that's here with us this morning. And thank you all so much for leaning in and for worshiping the way that you do. And um, it's such, a, such an honor to, uh, to be your pastor. And I'm excited about today's message. If you have uh, a Bible with you or you've got a smart device with a Bible app, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to uh, 1 Samuel. And that is um, towards, the, towards the front of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is that first big chunk of Scripture um, so towards the front of that, maybe in that first third, First uh, Samuel, we're going to land in chapter 9, and we're going to look at a couple passages here in uh, chapter 9, chapter 10, and then chapter 15 to lay the foundation for our message today. So before we jump into that scripture, let me give you just a little bit of context into what is happening here at this moment. The nation of Israel has just come out of a time where they have been led by a group of individuals called the Judges. That's where we get this book called The Judges. And we learn about people like, um, like Gideon and, um, and uh, uh, Samson and Deborah and, and some of those others. And um, that's what's happening in the, the nation of Israel at this time. And so they've come out of this time of the Judges. And so what's happening is, is that the Lord has now raised up, he has appointed a prophet for the nation of Israel. And this prophet's name is Samuel. And it is the same Samuel that we talk about that, that um, his mother was barren, but she prayed to have a baby and the Lord blessed her with that child. And she gave that child back to, um, back to the Lord. And so he served in, he served in the temple with, um, with Eli and he grew up and the Lord appointed him as a prophet to the nation of Israel. And the people, they're tired of being led by the judges. And so it's at this time that the people, they go to Samuel and they say, all the other nations around us have kings. And so we want you to go before the Lord on our behalf and request that he anoint and appoint a king to rule over us. And so Samuel realizes after he talks with God that this is a terrible idea, but the people are relentless and they insist. And so Samuel then says, fine, the Lord has agreed to give you what you want. Meanwhile, there is this young man named Saul and Saul comes from the most insignificant, the smallest tribe of Israel, Benjamin. And Saul is from the family that is the, the smallest family, the most insignificant family of Benjamin. And his father has found himself in a bit of a pickle. It seems some donkeys that he has have gotten loose. And so Saul's father sends Saul along with one of his father's servants to search the countryside to find these donkeys. And that's where we pick up our story today in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, starting with verse 14. And I hope it's going to be here on the screen. It's behind me on the screen. Okay, cool. Um, let's read together. Saul and the servant went up to the town. 
And just as they entered it, they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the palace of worship. The day before Saul came, the Lord had told Samuel, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Appoint him to lead my people Israel. He will save my people from the Philistines. I have seen the suffering of my people and I have listened to their cry. Now, when Samuel first saw Saul, verse 17, the Lord said to Samuel, this is the man I told you about. He will organize my people. Saul approached Samuel at the gate and said, please tell me where the seer's house is, or the seer is another word for prophet. Please tell me where the seer's house is. Verse 19, Samuel answered, I am the seer or the prophet. Go with me to the place of worship. Today, you and your servant are to eat with me, and tomorrow morning I will answer all your questions and send you home. Don't worry about the donkeys you lost three days ago because they have been found. Soon all the wealth of Israel will belong to you and your family. Verse 21, Saul answered, but I am from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family group is the smallest in the tribe of Benjamin. Why are you saying such things? Now, skipping down to verse 27, as Saul, his servant, and Samuel were getting near the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us, but you stay because I have a message from God for you. Chapter 10, verse 1, here's the message. Samuel took a jar of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, the Lord has appointed you to lead his people. Now, we skip over to chapter 15, just five chapters later, and we find that something terrible has happened, that apparently Saul has not been leading in a way that honored God, and he had chosen to, to distance himself from the Lord, and this is what happened. Chapter, 10, or chapter 15, verse 10, then the Lord spoke his word to Samuel. I'm sorry I made Saul king because he has stopped following me and has not obeyed my commands. Samuel was upset and he cried out to the Lord all night long. Early the next morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. Skipping all the way down to verse 28 of chapter 15. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors who is better than you. In 1955, two psychologists by the name of Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingham developed what they call the Johari window. Now, Johari is a funny word, but that, that name is actually a derivative of both of their first names, um, Joseph and Harrington. And so they pronounced it or named it the Johari window. And the Johari window served as a technique for individuals to be able to better understand their relationships with both themselves and with other people. And the Johari window looks something like this right here. I'm not sure which screen it's going to be on. Right here. Okay. All right. Um, this is the Johari window, and you can see 
that it is divided, it's a square divided up into four, um, four quadrants, and so it looks like a window. Now, this top left quadrant is what we call the arena. This is the thing that, um, this is the part of our lives that, that we know about us and that everybody else knows about us. It is, it's our public persona. It is the things that, that we know about and that we talk about like out in the open. Like for example, um, everyone in this room right now knows that I'm very handsome. I know it, you know it. It's something that we talk about out in the open. This is the arena part of the Johari window, okay? Now, let's move down to, um, to this lower left quadrant here. This is what we call the facade. And the facade are, is the things that, that we know about ourselves, but that others don't know about us. This is, this is the area of our lives that are fake. It's the area where we put on a show. It's the, the part of our lives where we pretend like everything is okay, uh, in, but when it's, it's really not. And so we, we try to put on this front, you know, and some of us right now, if we were being honest, we're wearing a facade. Some of us came in here and we have a smile on our face, but things are just not going well in our lives if we were truthful about it. This is the part of our lives where fear and doubt and bitterness and hatred and anger and insecurity. It's where, it's where those tend to live in our lives. So we've got the arena, we've got the facade, and then now let's shift over to, um, to the right side of the Jahari window, this top right quadrant. We have what is known as our blind spot. Now, this is the, this is the part of our lives. It's the things that are unknown to us but it's the stuff that everybody else knows. This is like when you walk around with like, a, like food in your teeth or, or your fly is unzipped or you've got a big booger in your nose or something like that. Like it's the thing that everybody else knows, but you have no idea what is taking place. And then finally, this, this lower um, right quadrant here, this is, um, this is simply known as, ironically, known as the unknown. And this is the part of our lives that we don't know about and nobody else knows about either. These are, these are, um, this is the area of our life where our God-given gifts and skills and talents and abilities and where all of that dwells. And, and God put those things in us long before we were born, but he's waiting until the right time to begin to reveal those things in our lives. And, and when he does, they will begin to shift into one of these other areas. They will, they will begin to, um, to emerge and we, we will discover them or other people will discover them. And, and over time, they may end up residing in all of those different quadrants of the Johari window. Now, today we are in part three of a series that we are calling Frequency. And it's simply about cutting through the noise in our lives so that we can better and more clearly hear the voice of God and what he is speaking to us. Two weeks ago, we talked about how the Bible is one of the primary ways that God will communicate with us and that the Bible serves as the lens through which we view all the other ways that God speaks to us because we know that God is never, ever, ever 
under any circumstances going to contradict the things that he has already communicated to us in his word. So when he speaks to us through one of these other avenues, if it is not in line with what God has communicated through his word, then we can go ahead and discount that and say, no, that's not actually God speaking. Because when God speaks, it will always be in, in line with and in accordance to what he has already communicated through the Bible. Okay, then last week we talked about how God, in addition to the Bible, that sometimes God will speak to us through the desires in our hearts, in our lives. And, and we talked about that he speaks to us through both the bad desires that we have going on, the good desires that we have going on, and that these things are, at a, a tug of, are having a tug of war inside of us, and that he speaks to us through both those bad and good desires, but then also that he speaks to us through the God desires that he is downloading into our lives as we choose to delight ourselves in him, that he begins to replace some of those other desires and puts new things in there and helps us to discover him and, and who we are to become in and through him in a whole new way. And for our purposes today, I want to focus on this right-hand side, both the blind spot and the unknown portions of the Johari window, because it is, it is in these areas that God uses people to reveal these things to us, to speak to us in and through our lives. So not only does God speak to us through his word, the Bible, but he also speaks to us through our desires, but sometimes God will use other people to speak to us. Now, it's important for us to know, and before we jump any further in into this, that when God uses another person to speak to us, it is always for the purpose of building us up, edifying us, and making us better. Now, that does not mean, though, that every time someone else speaks into our life, that it's always going to be good news. Sometimes God's going to send people our way and they're going to tell us some things that we may not want to hear. But it's not because God is punishing us. It's because he wants us to get better so that we can become the person that he has called us to be. All right. So we're going to start right here down in this bottom right hand side in the unknown quadrant, the unknown quadrant. The, the thing about this quadrant and the God-given gifts and talents and abilities and skills, all of those things that lie within it is that it almost always requires someone else to identify those gifts and talents and abilities in our lives and then encourage us to begin using them. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's, here's what I want you to write down. This is point number one. I want you to write down this. Number one, God uses people to confirm things in our lives. God will use people to confirm things in our lives. In our passage, we read about this man named Saul and the prophet named Samuel goes to him and, and he anoints him to become the very first king over Israel. And what did Saul say right before that happened? Saul said, look, how can this be happening to me? I am but among the lowest, the, the smallest tribe of Israel. And, and within that tribe, I am among or a part of the smallest, most insignificant family of 
the tribe of Benjamin. How can this be happening to me? But Samuel said, the Lord has spoken to me and has recognized something inside of you that you don't even see yourself that has qualified you to become the leader of the king of the nation of Israel. So it's something that Saul didn't recognize. It was completely unknown. And up until the point that God spoke to Samuel, it was completely unknown to him. But then God speaks and then all of a sudden these hidden gifts and talents and abilities, the things that Saul had that qualified him to become the king of Israel, they started to come out. Samuel said, the Lord has appointed you to lead his people. Now, I would dare to venture that little to few people in here, or or perhaps no people in here, recognize the names John Minder and Cecil Underwood. Cecil Underwood, um, I know that that sounds like your cool uncle, like everybody, like, this is my uncle Cecil. Like, I wish I had an uncle Cecil Underwood. That just sounds like he'd be cool. Cecil Underwood, he was a pastor in Putnam County, Florida, which is the Palatka area. It's just um, a, a short drive south of here. And John Minder was the dean of the Florida Bible Institute in Temple Terrace, Florida. And the story goes that on Easter weekend in 1937, Underwood reached out to Minder and asked if he would come to Putnam County and preach for him in one of the services the following weekend. Now, Minder declined, but recommended that one of his students take the job instead. And at the time, that student was a then unknown 18-year-old, wet behind the ears, Billy Graham. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him or not. And as the story goes and as it records on Billy Graham's website, with knees knocking and four borrowed sermons to fall back on, Graham got up and preached one after the other in succession that next Sunday morning to the some 40 people that had gathered at church for that day. And he concluded his first ever sermon in just under eight minutes. That's how Billy Graham got his start. Underwood continued to invest in the giftings that Billy Graham had. He would often drive from Putnam County all the way down to the Florida Bible Institute, which is right outside of Tampa. And he would pick up Billy and some of his classmates and he would bring them back to Putnam County and they would feed them. He and his wife would would feed all of the boys fried chicken and mashed potatoes on Saturday evening. And then they would sleep on the Underwoods floor. And then the next day, all over Putnam County, they would be sent out to churches and tents and, and to hold these revival meetings and preach in these church services. From there, Graham began to preach revival services and meetings in small towns all across Florida. And eventually his reach grew from preaching to maybe a hundred in a small church to over a hundred thousand in a large stadium. And it was all because John Minder and Cecil Underwood helped him to discover and cultivate a God-given gift that at the time none of them even knew was there. I had a similar experience happen in my life. At the age of 15, I had publicly declared that I I believed that the Lord was calling me into ministry. And somehow my then youth pastor, a guy by the name of Dan Harris, who lives um, in St. Simon's Island, just north of here, um, he convinced his brother and our pastor, uh, Terry Harris, to allow me to preach one night on a Sunday evening. 
at 15 years old in what we affectionately call big church. You know, like if you're in kids' church or the youth group or whatever, you call this, this is big church. You know, I don't know what that makes. Like, we don't call that little church, but we call this big church. I don't know. So I got to preach in big church. And, and you'll all be very interested to know that my very first sermon at the age of 15 years old, which included pretty much everything I knew about God and the Bible at that moment, clocked in at just under 15 minutes. And I know what you're thinking, why didn't you just stay right there and continue to just preach 15 minutes? Like, how come you've gotten so long-winded the older that you have gotten? And all I'm thankful for is that nobody has a VCR anymore because there's still a golden VHS cassette floating around somewhere out there. It's probably like in my parents' attic or something. And hopefully it's been destroyed. I, I'm, I'm even more thankful that like YouTube didn't exist then. Because like that would have been, you know, like that would have been my first and last sermon. But it's because I'm standing here today because much like Billy Graham and John Minder and Cecil Underwood, there were people in my life that recognized a gift that I had and they gave me an opportunity to cultivate it. They spoke into that. They encouraged me in that and then provided opportunity for me to grow and to develop. No doubt many of you have had an experience like this. Now, may, maybe it's not preaching that you've had an experience to do, but, but somewhere along the way, you've had somebody come alongside you in your life and encourage you in gifts and skills and abilities that you doubted that you had or that, that you doubted your ability to use. Maybe it was something that you didn't even recognize that was there and they encouraged you and, and caused you to take a step of faith into a future that you would have never imagined otherwise. And see, what happens is this. Um, confirmation, when someone confirms something in your life, confirmation produces determination. Confirmation produces determination. It says, I can, I can do this thing because there's someone out there who believes in me. Billy Graham at 18 years old, he was like, I don't know. But because somebody believed in him, look at what happened over the course of his life and the number of people that call heaven home because of his influence on them. Confirmation produces determination. We can do these things because there's someone encouraging us. There's someone empowering us. There's someone believing in us. That is what happens in that unknown section of the Jahari window in our lives. God speaks and someone says, hey, I noticed this in you. And then all of a sudden those God-given gifts and talents and abilities begin to arise to the surface. So, when God uses other people to speak to us, he will, one, use them to confirm. And then here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's number two. God uses people to confront things in our lives. Not just confirm things in our life. He uses people to confront things in our lives. Now, in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, we have Saul there, and he is being positioned to become the king of Israel and then six chapters later, that's not a lot of, a lot of time in terms of, in terms of uh, printed words on the page. Just six chapters later, Samuel is going to him and says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. 
and has given it to one of your neighbors who is better than you. Talking about a young boy named David that was getting ready to receive the mantle of the kingdom of Israel. And somewhere over the course of that six chapters, Saul transitioned from being the the boy who thought he didn't have what it took the boy from the smallest of the tribes, from the smallest family in the smallest of the tribe, to now that, that, that he had to fully depend on God, to now he's become this person that rather than depending on God, he's saying, look at what I've done. Look at what I can do. Look at the skills that I have. Look at the talents that, that I have. Look at the things that I'm capable of. And, and my goodness, what a difference six chapters can make in our lives. And it's this part that that has to do with quadrant three of the Johari window, our blind spot. See, the, the blind spots of our lives almost always have something to do with an area in which we are being disobedient or which we are compromising in some way. And honestly, when when someone comes to you and and speaks this kind of thing into your life, it's typically not a fun conversation to have. But it's necessary. Because just like driving a car, if we are unaware of the blind spots that we have, we will eventually cause ourselves and those around us harm and catastrophe. When God sends someone to confront you in your life, maybe it's through a one-on-one conversation with a friend or, or a sermon from your pastor or a supervisor at work, whatever that may be. When he sends someone to confront you about something, he does it for one reason. It's because he loves you and has a plan for your life that he wants to see fulfilled. That's why he's doing it. But my question is, who has that kind of permission to speak into your life that way, even if you don't like what they have to say. This is tough. And and I've also discovered that for most people, it's it's uncommon. We we just don't have that person. Most of the time when when in in our lives, when someone like a coach or a pastor or a friend communicates a hard to swallow truth, we'll respond in turn by quitting the team or leaving the church or severing the relationship. See, that's what I've discovered. A coach comes to you and says, hey, you're not putting in your best effort on defense. You're a liability to the team. So instead of starting, you're going to have to sit the bench. And what do we do? We get mad and we quit. Or a pastor comes to us and says, hey, like when you first started coming to the church, I noticed that you were like, like every week you were there. And then over the past five years, I've discovered like your church attendance and your involvement, the way that you're serving and the way that you're leading and and." Being a part of your small group and everything, it started to wane. And now where I used to see you every week, I might see you maybe like like once a month, once every six weeks. Like, hey, what's going on? And then we get all like holy and righteous. How dare he? How dare she? Speaking to my life that way. I'll just forget it. I just won't go back to that church. It's calling me out. Where a friend comes to you and says, hey, like, when we first met and started hanging out, like I realized that you were like, you were like full of joy and like exuberant and you were fun to be around. But over the course of time and here recently, I've noticed that you're like a whole lot more bitter and angry and you seem depressed. And I've noticed that you've started drinking a lot and like, I'm concerned about you. Ugh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I don't, I don't need your help. I don't need your concern. We end up cutting those relationships off because we just want to be who we be. And we don't want anybody else 
to speak into it? Who has permission to confront the blind spots of your life? And if there is that person, do they realize they have that permission? Some of you need to go to somebody or whoever you think that person is in your life and you need to tell them, hey, I give you permission to speak into my life. I give you permission to communicate these things to me, even if it's difficult because I want to get better. I want to grow. I want to develop. I want to become who God is calling me to become. And so I give you permission to say these things, even though they may be hard for me to swallow, even though it may be stuff that I don't want to hear. I've got people like this in my life. One of them is a guy by the name of Jason Starrett. I hope that you'll get to meet him at some point. Um, He is a pastor at a church um, in Tarpon Springs, Florida, um, just just about four hours from here or so. And once a month for about the past three years, he and I have had a video chat, like a FaceTime chat together. Um, And uh, I made a commitment to him early on in that relationship that, Jason, I'm not going to hide anything from you. I'm going to be an open book. I'm going to communicate exactly what's going on. And so, so we'll have this FaceTime chat, and he'll ask me things about my family and my leadership and my ministry and my church. He asked me about you guys and everything. And so I just tell him what's going on. And I've told him, hey, like, I give you permission to tell me, to call me out when I'm out of line. And you know what happens? He does. When I communicate to him what's going on, he'll say, hey, man, the Holy Spirit's telling me that you're out of line there and you need to change that or you need to fix that. Or he'll say, hey, like I realize this situation is going on in your life and and here's what I believe that the Holy Spirit might be communicating. And he speaks into my life. And guess what? Over the past three years, because of Jason and his influence in my life, because of his commitment to continue to pour in and and iron sharpening iron in, in that capacity, I've become a better Christian. I've become a better husband. I've become a better father. I've become a better pastor. I've become a better person because he's had the guts and, and, and I've given him permission to look at me and say, Blake, there's some stuff in your life that is messed up that you need to get fixed. And I don't get mad at him. I thank him and he gives me some ideas on maybe how I can improve that. And then we pray together and it's made me better. There's other people in my life as well. Here's a couple of them. There's a, a picture of these two handsome guys right here. Um, this, is, uh, this is Brian Lamoureux here on the left, and he pastors a church in St. Augustine called Reverb Church. And uh, this is Darian Rains on the right, and he pastors a church called Our Place Church in Oklahoma. And this is me with them. Obviously, this is me with them, duh. Um, when I won an award for Broski of the Year this past October. So I'm a part of a a pastor's brotherhood that is um, affiliated with Next Level Church in Fort Myers, Florida. It's part of the Next Level Relational Network. And these two guys are my small group leaders. And so out of, um, out of uh, that whole group, there's about 100 or 110 of us lead pastors. I'm in a group with these guys with about 12 other pastors. And for the past year, we've been meeting once a month online in a video chat scenario. And they've been making investments into my life and my ministry, helping me to become the pastor and the leader and the father and the husband and, and, and everything that, that I need to be in order to lead this place. 
And then three times a year, um, all 110 of us, we get together in person um, for, for an intensive like three-day uh, period of, of leadership development and training and fellowship and, and prayer. And because of these guys and their influence in my life, I've become better They've made me who I am today, and they've been able to call things out in my life that I have otherwise been able to unsee. So here's why this is important. Here's why you need these kinds of people in your life. It's because confrontation produces maturation. Confrontation produces maturation, the way, that, the way that confirmation produces determination that says, I can do this, confrontation produces maturation that says, when you do do this, here's how you can make it better. Here's how you're doing it incorrectly. Here's something that you need to fix. And that as that speaks into your life, then you're able to make those tweaks and then you mature, you grow and you develop. And you need people like this in your life. And I know what you might be thinking, Where do I find these people, right? Where do I find these people? I don't know anybody like this. Look, that's why you need to be on a serving team here at Christ Walk. That's why you need to be in a small group here at Christ Walk because it's out of those relationships as you serve together and as you do life together, you're gonna meet some people and you're gonna say, hey, now there's somebody that I wish my walk with Jesus was like. There's somebody who's leading their family well. There's somebody who has the kind of Bible knowledge that I wish I had. There's somebody that's loving their spouse the way that, that I wish I could love my spouse. There's somebody that's parenting their kids the way that I wish I could parent my kids. And so you go to them and you say, hey, how, is the, how are you doing this? I want you to download that into me. I give you permission to speak into my life. Like, like I'm pulling back the curtain and here's me and here's how I'm operating. But, but the things that I'm doing are not producing the fruit that you're producing. So clearly you're doing something with better results than me. You're doing something that's more effective and more efficient. Teach me how to do what you're doing. Give them opportunity to speak into your life and then sit back and watch what happens. If you want to join a serving team, there's a place for you. Just go to the big orange tent after service and let them know, hey, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Help me find my spot. Maybe it's here in the auditorium. Maybe it's in, in Kids Walk. Maybe it's guest services. Maybe it's, it's up on the stage leading worship, whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know what your, what your skills and, and gifts and abilities are. Maybe it's still in that unknown quadrant. We are committed to helping you figure that out and helping to, to bring those things to the surface by providing a place for you to serve. And just a a couple weeks from now, a new small group semester is going to begin. There's going to be more information coming over the next couple weeks. And we have a website, groups.thechristwalk.com, where you can go and register to be a part of a small group. We got stuff there for young adults and and married couples and and Bible study groups and, and all sorts of stuff, all different sorts of ways for you to get involved. And if you go there and you would say, hey, like, I don't see a group for me, like there's not really a place that I fit, then that's the Lord telling you, you need to start a group of your own. And some of you are like, that doesn't make me feel good. I don't like hearing that. (laughs) That's a word of the Lord from your pastor speaking some things into your life that you need to recognize some stuff that God's wanting to do. He's wanting to use you. So if you don't see a group that you're a good fit for, start one. It's as simple as that. And we want to we partner with you and, and help you to do those things. 
because we want everybody to find their spot so that they can mature in their relationship with Jesus Christ and become the person that God has called them to become. You got to surround yourself with people like this. You got to put them in place. They're they're not just going to happen by accident. You have to go and seek it out. And then you have to tell that person, hey, I'm giving you permission to speak into my life because God will use people to confirm things in your life and to confront things in your life as well. Confirmation produces determination. Confrontation produces maturation. You need to find those people. One last thing before we close and get out of here. What if, what if God is wanting you to be that person that's going to speak into someone's life? What if we flip this thing around on its head? We've talked about finding the people that we want to speak into our life, that we want to give permission to speak into our life. What are we going to do if someone comes to us and says, hey, I want you to be that person for me? What if, what if the thing that God is calling you to do is to speak into the life of someone that you're connected with already? How do we go about that? How do we go about that? What are some ideas about that? What, what are some ways that we can do that successfully? Here's six things really quick, rapid fire. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. Six things. Number one, what do I do if God wants to use me to speak to somebody else? Number one, we need to know that no conversation is a coincidence. No conversation is a coincidence. We need to be on the lookout for God opportunities. Whenever someone crosses your path, Whenever you introduce yourself to, to somebody new, when, whenever, whenever you're, uh, uh, you, you, you reunite with an old friend or, or something on, on Facebook or whatever, I haven't seen you in years, hey, and you start talking and everything, like no conversation is a coincidence. You, you bump into someone at the grocery store or probably at Target, right? Some of y'all get that if you are here last week. You're going to run into somebody at Target, and that's not a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. Yes, we went to Target right after church last week. I will own up to it. When you bump into those people, when you have those conversations, it's not a coincidence. It very well could be God bringing you into the life of someone else in order to fulfill his purpose. Number two, you earn the right to speak into somebody's life. You earn the right to speak into somebody's life. When God calls you to speak into someone's life, when he he causes you to confirm or to confront something, you need to do it prayerfully and with support and with faithfulness, and you need to model that on the front end. Don't be a terrible friend and then expect to be able to go and and confront something in someone's life and then listen to you. No, like model what it means to be a good friend. Like be there, support them, pray for them, encourage them, honor them. And then what that's going to do is that's going to open them up. It's going to cause them to be vulnerable around you so that you can speak into their life when the time is right and when it's appropriate. You earn the right to speak into somebody's life. Number three, never, ever, ever underestimate the power of encouragement. You can never go wrong by encouraging somebody. Never. Look for the good and tell them. For some people, I'll just be honest, and you know, like, it's hard. It's hard to find something good about them. 
Find it and tell them, like encourage them. It will change, it will change them and it will also change your attitude toward them. Find that good thing and encourage them. Man, I really like your haircut. That dress looks great on you. When you did this, it blessed me. When I saw you worshiping and like uh, whatever it is, like find that good thing. Maybe it's for your kids. Hey, I noticed that you've improved, um, you, you've improved your grades across the board this nine weeks. Encourage them. Talk to them about the good things that they're doing rather than just focusing on the bad things that they're doing. You can never go wrong with encouragement. It will build other people up and it will change your attitude toward them if you'll look for the good and then call it out. We can never do that enough. Number four, listen with both ears. Listen with both ears. When you're in a conversation with somebody, have one ear fixed on the things that they're saying and have another ear fixed on the things that God is saying. And what's going to happen is, is that person, they're, they're going to say something. You're going to hear God whisper in a year, hey, you need, to, you need to call that out in them. You need to challenge them there. You need to encourage them there. That, that's an area of insecurity in their life. And, and you could just say, hey, man, I think you're doing a great job there. And that would make all the difference. One ear fixed on that conversation. One ear fixed on what God is speaking. And be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Listen with both ears and then speak up and say something. Number five. Question your motives. Question your motives. Look at yourself in the mirror and and truthfully ask, am I just being critical? Am I just being critical? Or is God really wanting me to call this out in someone's life? Am I just being a jerk who just can't get along with people? Or is God using me, wanting to use me to make a difference, to, to, to grow somebody and help make them get better? Here's a good rule of thumb. If you want to say it to somebody you probably shouldn't. And if you don't want to say it to somebody, you probably should. That's a good way to look at it, a good way to measure if God might be calling you to speak into someone's life, particularly when it's confrontational. Last thing, number six, it's okay to be unsure. It's okay. There's no like perfect science to this. This is, this is all just, just operating on, on faith and obedience. On a scale of one to ten, like like that's that's how you can that's how you can you, you can determine these things or whatever. So when you go to somebody, you might want to preface it on a scale of one to ten with with one being Blake and, and ten being God. I'm at about a four or a five, but I feel like I that the Lord might be leading me to tell you this. I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and I said, maybe this is the Holy Spirit, maybe it's just bad pizza. I don't know, but here's what I feel like the Lord might be saying on a scale of one to 10, and then step out and, 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 and say that thing. But, but first consider, does it align with scripture? And, and if it doesn't, then that's a, that's a zero on the scale. But if it does align with scripture and you still, you still feel like you, you need to say it or whatever, then just go to them and say, hey, like a scale of one to 10, like I'm, a, I'm at about a six or a seven and I love you. I just want to speak this into your life and then you can do with it what you want to. See, if, if God's called you to speak into someone's life, here's the deal. Your responsibility is obedience. God's responsibility is the outcome. You can't control what they do with it. You can only control the fact that you're willing to step out in faith and say it. And know that when that happens, God is setting us up so that we can be built up 
and edified and become better, to become the person that he's called us to become. God speaking to you, to me, to all of us. But are we listening? Are we positioning ourselves so that we can hear? Are we digging into his word? Are, are we considering these desires that we have going on in our life? Are we looking for people out there? Are we giving them permission to speak into our lives? Are we taking a step of faith and speaking into someone else's life? What if we did that? What if we lived that way? How might our lives get better? How might our relationships improve? How might we become a better spouse or a better parent or a better professional in our workplace, a better Christian, a better student? What might God do in and through us if we would listen to these things? I want to encourage you. Let's lean in and find out. Let's lean in and find out. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this place today with these people and those that have joined us online, those that are going to watch this later or listen via podcast. God, I just thank you for each and every person. Lord, I pray that you would bring the right people into our lives. Lord, and that you would use them to speak to us. Father, that, that these people would come along and that they would, they would help to mine out these gifts and skills and abilities in this unknown quadrant of our lives that we didn't even know that were there, but they would mine those things out and that they would encourage us to use them and, and that, that as they do, Lord, that we would take steps of faith and obedience, Lord, so that we can become the person you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that you would send people in our lives that love us enough to say the hard things. And God, that when they do, Lord, that we wouldn't push them away. We wouldn't sever the relationship, but that we would listen. We would lean in and we would take steps to change what you're trying to change in us. And Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to position ourselves that we can hear from you in such a way that we can be one of these voices to someone in the world around us. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, God, I just pray that as you speak to us, as you communicate the things that you want to say to those people, Lord, that you would give us courage to approach them and to communicate the things that you've said so that we can become better servants of you, that we can become better in our relationships with others, that we can, come, we can become better in all aspects of our life. Speak to us. Help us to position ourselves in such a way that we can cut through the noise tap into your frequency and hear what you're trying to say and communicate in our lives. In your most holy name, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. For more information about Christ Walk, please visit us at thechristwalk.com.